Hello, people of the way. Uh, we are going to continue our study through the book of Acts. But before I, uh, uh, we start, I have some uh, uh, several announcements to make. Uh, first announcement is just to clarify something that was, uh, I don't know if I stated it right on, on, on Wednesday's uh, study. Uh, but it was something to the effect of uh, husbands don't listen to your wives. Um, and I don't know if I framed it properly. I gave some examples with Abraham and Sarah the first time and Abraham and Sarah the second time. Uh, but it, it, I guess to more correctly state it would be to, or more clearly state it, uh, would say men don't obey your wives. And I may have framed it okay, but I just wanted to have like more solidified uh commentary on that you know so it's like you know men don't obey your wives you know your wife might uh make suggestions your wife might make uh comments and have uh, uh you know opinions on a certain matter but 100 of the time take it to the lord take it to the lord and you know when you go to the lord in prayer you know husbands what happens is that your the, the Lord might confirm to you that your wife is crazy and, you know, that's your problem. Uh, or the Lord might confirm to you that your wife is a helper that he's given you, you know. And it's so cool when that happens because it's like it's, it's beautiful for the kids that are, grew up in that home. And then also for wives, you know, a lot of wives have like hardcore obedience to husbands. Don't do that. You know, go to the Lord, you know, for wives. Wives too, go to the Lord. Because, you know, I don't mean to get disgusting, but you know, what happens sometimes is a lot of husbands, they get strung up on pornography and then they go to their wives and say, hey, wife, you got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do this. And so the wife has to like, you know, look a certain way, behave a certain way, perform a certain way. And you know what? You go to the Lord in prayer and the Lord reveals to, to you that your husband's a sicko. You know, your husband's disgusting. And, you know, it, I, that's also your problem. You know, that's kind of, you know, these battles that we have in life. You know, or the Lord might reveal to you, wow, you know, this is a godly man. You know, not that he desires all those, you know, disgusting things that I mentioned. But you go to the Lord in prayer for all things. A lot of times people have blind obedience. That's why you have husbands. They obey their wives and they're, you know, emasculated. You know, they obey their wives and it's like, wow, you know what? I'm a beta male. And then you read the Bible and then the Holy Spirit reveals to that person that, you know what? You're a fool. Don't be that way. You're supposed to be the spiritual leader of your home. You know, always render, this is for husbands, always render obedience to Jesus Christ. Always. And so I just wanted to frame it properly if that wasn't conveyed. I gave some examples with Abraham and Sarah um, and, um, but I just wanted to, to, to make that statement, you know, obedience is 100% to Jesus Christ. Remember in Christ, there's no male, female, slave, free, rich, poor. It doesn't matter. Jew, Gentile, because we're all one. There's equality in Jesus Christ. But then a couple weeks ago, we talked about that rank, rank structure. There's a hierarchy. So that's, uh, my, uh, the first announcement. The next announcement refers to the last days. You know, I kind of keep my uh, my finger in the air when it comes to uh, Bible prophecy. Sometimes I don't share, you know, I, I, perhaps I should share a lot more, uh, but I don't want to freak anybody out, you know. And I also don't want to like, you know, look at news and say like, okay, you know, this is it. This is it. I, I don't want to play that game because a lot of people get into trouble when they do that. 
But there are some interesting trends that are happening. You know, you have to kind of escape the United States. The United States, has, we have our own issues here. You know, the things that are going on uh, geopolitically, you know, things that are happening around political hubs in the country, uh, uh, city centers, Washington, D.C., New York, all these things that are happening. And there's kind of like a cultural shift in our country. That's one thing. But if you leave the United States and you look at Israel, June 1st, they they started their talks again, the resumption of what they're calling the Trump peace plan. That started on June 1st. In uh, part of those agreements in accordance with the peace plan included the annexation of Judea and Samaria, which that vote, that decision in Israel is to happen on July 1st. It's supposed to happen on July 1st. It might not. That's what there's a lot of debate. A lot of global leaders, a lot of people from the EU, uh, United Nations. There's like a global front that's saying, Israel, don't do this. This is potential, potentially preparatory for what we read in Matthew 24. You know, when Jesus Christ says, let those be in Judea and Samaria flee. Flee to the mountains. Don't even collect. Don't even go get you. Don't even pack your bags. Don't even do it. Just get out of Dodge. Because this is disputed territory. This is where, you know, supposedly it belongs to the Palestinians. I say supposedly because, you know, Abraham has the title deed in accordance with what we read in Genesis. You, you know, I remember our studies in Genesis. You hear me make reference every now and then. Abraham has the title deed. He bought it. He bought the land. And he has the deed. So when I say this is potentially preparatory for the events of Matthew 24, remember that when the Antichrist is enters the scene, we're not going to know, you know, the beginning of the final seven years. We're not going to know, hey, this is the Antichrist. We're going to have like a pool of individuals where it's, okay, this could be it, this could be it, this could be him, this could be him. We're not going to know for certain until the midpoint, the middle of the, the final seven years. And then at the same time, it's to say, okay, uh, so, you know, what happens in that first three and a half years? It's false peace is what it is. False peace. Now, you hear me say this and, you know, you might be listening and saying like, wait, wait a second. We're not supposed to be here. You know, we're going to be raptured out of here. Well, you know, there are... I always want to make preparations. You know, we have this saying in the military, or we had this saying. It's still in the same, but I'm not in the military anymore. You know, or you know, pray for peace, train for war. I don't adhere hardcore. I have no hardcore adherence to pre-tribulation theory. When we get into our studies in the uh, in the last days, you'll see why. And there might be a topical sermon where it's like, you know, a topical message where we identify all these things. And we look at the prophecies, we look at the final seven years, and what happens preparatory to the beginning of the final seven years, which I can make a strong argument that we're in that today, the, the preparation for the final seven years, the beginning point of the final seven years, what happens precisely in the middle of the seven years, and the, the events that happen in the last three and a half years of world history, which is going to be quite literally hell on earth. I shouldn't say quite literally. I should say very literally hell on earth. You know, we're living in very, very dangerous times, perilous times. The days are evil. You know, and you look at the final seven years. 
the, the, the scripture makes clear distinction between the wrath of the Antichrist and the wrath of God. The wrath of the Antichrist is a longer period of time. The wrath of God is like immediate. It, it's almost instantaneous, the wrath of God. Remember the Christian, we're, 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 we're not under the wrath of God. You know, we're going to be raptured before the wrath of God comes. And the wrath of God is straight up like, you know, right before the wrath of God, there's the final call when, you know, come out of from my people. The Lord is making a call to the people who are caught up in mystery Babylon. Come out of from my people. You know, we're living in very, very dangerous days. Days of deception. Hardcore deception. Even in the house of God. And, you know, we read in Scripture, judgment comes first in the house of God. All these things that are happening, you look at the turmoil in the church, you know, and it begs the question, you know, is the church under judgment? Is the church under God's judgment? You know, and it's like, well, are all these things that are happening across our globe, is it a result of God's judgment? You know, like a small form of His judgment, you know, because judgment comes first in the house of God, Old Testament and New Testament. And it's to say, wow, you know, it's to bring us to our knees in repentance and to humble us as the people, as the bride of Christ. You say, why do you refer to us as the bride of Christ? Well, you know, you're, you're talking about God's judgment and, you know, we're the bride of Christ. Well, don't forget that there's five wise and five fools, you know, virgins awaiting the bridegroom. You know, Matthew 24, read Matthew 24, you'll understand what I'm saying. Or, you know, listen to the sermon from Matthew 24. I think we, it's on, if it's not there, you know, message the church and we'll, we'll get that to you. But, you know, it just blows me away the days that we live in because the days are dark. The days are evil. And what's happening in tandem with that? The church is asleep. Asleep like little babies when it's not time to slumber. So those are my two announcements for the fellowship, announcements for the church, for the bride of Christ. People of the way. Let's look at Acts 17 here. In Acts 17, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 17. And we're going to see some hardcore things. I love this chapter. I love chapter 16 a lot. But, you know, as we get into things, it's like, wow, this is a pretty cool chapter too. So in Acts 17, verse 1 says, uh, now, you remember it was, you know, like some, you know, hardcore opposition. What happened, in, you know, when Paul and Silas were in prison. You know, and then all of a sudden, they're out of prison, like in, in where we ended in verse 40 last week. You see, they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia, beautiful, beautiful lady. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So they departed, and now we kick off in verse 1 of chapter 17. Now, when they had passed through uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. You know, a beautiful, beautiful church, Thessalonica. Paul wrote a couple letters to this church, the Thessalonian church. You have First and Second Thessalonians. That's why, you know, you, as we study this, the, the book of Acts, you're going to see the birth of these churches. The birth of these churches, you know, it's, it's, it's so beautiful. Because remember, there was the Macedonian call, what we studied last week. Or no, I shouldn't say last week because we were in chapter 16 for a while. But what we studied, you know, several weeks ago. When, you know, there was the vision that was given or Paul had in a dream, uh, you know, the, the, uh, uh, how in, in uh, chapter 16, verse 9, it says, A vision appeared to Paul in the night. So it's like, you know, dream slash vision. 
a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. That's the Macedonian call. And so they talk about it in the morning, and they concluded, they concluded that the Lord is calling them to preach the gospel, to go in Macedonia. He said, remember, the Holy Spirit restricted them from going into certain regions. And they didn't know at that particular moment, they didn't know why, but they were obedient. And here, you know, as we see these things unfold with Lydia, with the prisoners that were freed, with the jailer, we start to see these things unfold and then you start to understand, wow, Lord, like your ways are so far beyond ours. Thus fulfilling what scripture tells us. That's what's so cool. You have these little moments where, you know, the Lord says something in his word. And, you know, you might not have an understanding, but then you read and read and then you understand, oh, Lord, I get it now. I totally get it now. I understand. You know, let this ring true for us today as a last day's church. You know, as the Holy Spirit directs and as he guides, we don't have to know the whys or the hows. You know, sometimes the Lord's just going to say, boom, you know, whatever it is. And who are the obedient among us as last day's believers? Is to say, okay, you know what, let's pray about it. Let's seek the Lord. And maybe we too will conclude that the Lord is saying one thing. Saying something as, you know, directional for uh, the way Christian fellowship. Just like as He does for you and me individually. To those who have ears, to those who have eyes. A lot of times people say, oh yeah, God, you know, He's just... I want to experience God. Well, you know, sometimes, you know, you'll experience the Lord through various means, but you have to be very careful with experiential uh, aspects of the Lord. What happens when there is no experience and we just lean on His Word? I don't mean to just say, just lean on His Word. It's, it's very dangerous to chase after experiences because that's where, you know, a lot of deception can happen. Remember, be very careful with emotions and feelings. You know, that's the playground of uh, demonic things. And, you know, not to say, okay, because since that's the case, I'm going to close off all emotions and feelings. No, because it's also a breeding ground for holy things. We have to have discernment. And so you see, you know, they came to Thessalonica. This was a church that was you know, hardcore, you know, it's the, the birth of the, uh, the church in Thessalonica. But as they grew and matured a little bit more, they, they had this doctrine of imminency. Where, you know, the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, it can be imminent. And Paul had to write a letter to them. You know, Paul wrote the first letter, 1 Thessalonians. And then they started to have this idea of, you know, the, the second coming of Christ, it's imminent. It's imminent. It can happen at any time. And then Paul caught wind of that, and he had to write a second letter to them. Second Thessalonians. He had to write a second letter, and he kind of clarifies things. And so there's this doctrine of imminency that's arisen in the church today. You know, Jesus Christ, we could be raptured at any given time. You know what I say? Read Second Thessalonians. And understand the prophecies that are given in, you know, Matthew 24, also in Daniel chapter 9. And then all of a sudden, the abomination of desolation. And you can pinpoint exactly, okay, since this is here, since this is here, you know, then 
the rapture is after this point in time. You know, and we talked about that in our studies in Revelation, in our study in Matthew 24. And so here you have this early church. It's, you know, it's not even a church. Paul just arrived, you know, uh, Paul and this little entourage of guys, beautiful, beautiful godly men, they arrive in Thessalonica. And he says, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. You see straight up the hornet's nest again. The hornet's nest. And you think of pre previous experiences with synagogues. You'd think Paul would be, or you know, carnally thinking, you, you might have in your mind, okay, let's avoid this place. You know, a bunch of trouble is going to arise there, so let's, let's avoid this place. But no, that's not the case. Not the case at all. What do we see in verse 2? Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them. And for three Sabbaths, it's like, you know, uh, several weeks as a period of time, you know, because a Sabbath was, you know, in accordance with uh, 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 the Jewish calendar. The Sabbath is a Saturday. So it's like for three Sabbaths, so, you know, almost a month. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. And to reason, it's to discuss or dispute in argument or in exhortation. And that's what Paul is doing here. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. You know, if you're going to reason with anybody from the scriptures, it is required that you have to know the Bible. You have to know the scriptures in order to reason from the scriptures. A lot of times people don't know their Bibles. And they try to reason from the scriptures when they don't know the, the, the scriptures at all. I've told you guys before about a four-hour conversation. It was like three hours and 45-minute conversation I had with a particular individual. And he was a hardcore, like, you know, he had his certain beliefs. Supposedly a Christian. And I was reasoning with him from the scripture. I'm not saying, oh, you know what? I know the Bible. I'm not trying to come off that way. But, you know, it just, it's spiritually discerned when you read the Bible and you spend time in the Bible. You read the Bible. You know, my first Bible that I read from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, was a comic book Bible. Because I, I, I really didn't understand the Bible. And so the first one I read was the comic book Bible. And then all of a sudden I kind of had like a very, very basic understanding of the Bible. But I was so like, you know, like uh, turned on to the Bible. I don't mean to say that, you know, like in gross terms, but I mean like turned on like a light switch. You know, I was turned on to the Bible. It was like, wow, this is so beautiful. Very basic understanding, but I wanted more. And then at the same time, you know, it's like, wow, I'm done with this. And rather than read the comic book Bible again, I got a New Living Translation. And then I finished the New Living Translation and it's like, wow, you know what? I'm turned on even more to the Bible. I want to, I want more. And then all of a sudden, NIV. And then New King James. And then uh, uh, ESV. And then, you know, there's the uh, American Standard. And, you know, and so it, like all these different versions and it's like, wow, you just keep going Genesis to Revelation, you know, because there's going to be times you get to Revelation, you're done and you're like, you know, don't, don't like sit in your chair and think like, okay, wow, I'm done. 
No, you're never going to be done. When you're done, you'll be dead. That's when you're done. Well, that's when I urge you to be done. You know, you have to make the choice. You're done with revelation? You know, pray and I thank the Lord like, wow, Lord, how much you've taught me. And then you go back to Genesis and you start reading. And you know, rinse and repeat the whole time. Because there's going to be times you're going to read something in Deuteronomy. You're going to be like, whoa, I forgot about that. Then you're going to read something in Esther. Like, whoa, I forgot about that. And it's so cool because the whole time you're being changed, you're being transformed. Yielding to the word of God. And you're going to know the Bible. You know, I was talking to this elder one time who's like fallen. His, his doctrine is crazy. You know, and, and when I say he's, his doctrine is crazy, he goes into foreign countries and tells people that, you know, Catholicism is right. You know, Roman Catholicism is garbage. And if you're a Catholic hearing me say that, you know, I don't mean to offend you. You know, but what I, you read the first Vatican Council, second Vatican Council, and then you read the Bible. And it's like, whoa, the second Vatican Council, they're out to lunch. If the first Vatican Council wasn't bad enough, you read the second, it's like, whoa, this is bad. Because you know the Bible. And so when I say I was talking to this elder who was crazy doctrine, that's what he had. He was telling uh, evangelical Christians to, to be one with the uh, Catholics. No, there's no ecumen ecumenism in, in, in you know uh, Christianity. There's ecumenism in the world. It's also a sign of the last days. And so, you know, I was talking with this guy. He was like quoting the Bible. He's like, oh, the Bible says this. He was like, you know, in Ezekiel chapter 3 says this. I'm like, no, it doesn't. Yeah, the Bible says, you know, what you're saying. But it's not in Ezekiel. He said, Romans, you know, 20 says this. No, it doesn't. It kind of says what you're saying. Not in, you know, that particular passage. You're out to lunch. You're just making stuff up. You know, you talk to these brainiacs. You tell them, you know, when you know the Bible, you tell these brainiacs, do you not even know the Bible? Have you not read? Because what you're doing is you're attacking pride. You know, spiritually speaking, you're attacking pride. Not, you know, if you're attacking pride in a physical sense, you know, you'd, you'd punch them, you know. You know, hopefully you're stronger or you're more skilled. That's if you're attacking pride in the flesh. That's the flesh. That's carnal. And I'm, I'm not speaking about carnal. I'm speaking about the spiritual. You attack the pride. You attack things carnal. All the things carnal you attack. You know, from the word of God. And then all of a sudden what you're doing is you're chipping away at their foundation. And it's so cool. It's like, you know... Paul is able to reason with these in, in the synagogue because he knows the scriptures. Don't forget, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, so he has that under his belt as well. Remember Peter, when he wrote a letter, he's like, you know what, this Paul, sometimes he says things that are difficult to understand, but he says, you know what, you have to believe him because you know what, he, he says all these things, it aligns with the Old Testament, and you know what, Paul is, he cares for you. So cool. You see the beautiful unity in the early church. And I mean unity, number one, with doctrine, sound doctrine. Number two, with each other. And so look what happens here in, in um, uh, 
in verse 2 says, Then Paul, as, as his custom was, so, you know, who cares that he's going to the hornet's nest? I mean, carnally speaking, it'd be like, okay, Paul, I care about the fact that you're going to the hornet's nest. Didn't you learn your lesson last time? Why are you going to the synagogues? You know, Jesus Christ said to the Jew first, you already went to the Jews. Why? Turn with me really quick to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Really quick. In Romans chapter 9, look at what happens here in verse 1. This is Paul's letter to the church in Rome. He says in verse 1, I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness, witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow, which is, it translates as intense sorrow and continual grief, which translates as nonstop and permanent grief. He says, in my heart. He's telling the church, I have intense sorrow and nonstop Permanent and continual grief in my heart, you guys. That's what Paul, beautiful, beautiful Paul, former persecutor of the church, born again believer and now vessel of Jesus Christ, son of the most high God. You say, why, brother Paul? Brother Paul, what? why do you have great sorrow in your heart? My beautiful brother, why do you have nonstop and permanent grief in your heart? He says this in verse 3. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ. He says, I wish that I were anathema from Christ, banned from Christ. That's hardcore. Why, Brother Paul? Why is it, my beautiful, beautiful brother? You have this continual grief in your heart, nonstop and permanent, intense sorrow in your heart. And you wish that you were accursed from Christ. You wish that you were banned from Christ. Why is that, my beautiful brother? Verse 3. For my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. You see? Like, whoa. He says, for the sake of my brethren, my countrymen, my kin, my relatives by blood. He's speaking about the Jews. I wish that I were banned from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. You see a picture of Paul's heart. You see a picture of his strong, strong, strong desire for the Jews. So when we see in the book of Acts, you know, he goes into these synagogues. It's not just synagogues because you know what? He wants to pick a fight. He goes to the synagogues because he he would rather trade his salvation for theirs. You see a picture of his heart. His love. You know, he writes these letters to the churches, his love for both Jew and Gentile. So what does Paul do? He goes to the synagogue. Let's go back to Acts 17 now. Because carnally, we would read Acts 17, you know, and it's like, boom, in verse 1, you know, where the synagogue of the Jews, in verse 2, then Paul, as his custom was, you read that, and like, okay, Paul, why was it a custom? 
you know it's just going to cause, you know, poke a stick, go to a hornet's nest. And, and carnally speaking, you see a hornet's nest, in the, you know, in the corner of your roof. You see a hornet's nest on a tree. Take a big broomstick and poke at it. See what happens. I guarantee you that'll be the last time you poke that hornet's nest. Now they have the deadly hornets now, you know. The, the big, thick ones that are like the size of a, a an adult's thumb. Straight up, you get bit, 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 and you're dead. You know, it's like, whoa, this is crazy. You'll do that one time. Go to a hornet's nest, poke it with the broomstick, and you'll get stung once, twice. You'll feel get these big old welts. I guarantee you that'll be the last time you do that. That's in the flesh, carnally speaking. But in the spirit, you see Paul's heart. How much he loves his kinsmen, the Jewish people. Desiring that they can see, desiring that they weren't blind, desiring that they could have ears to hear and eyes to see. He's a beautiful, beautiful man. I love this guy so much. And so he says here in verse 3, this is when he was reasoning from scriptures. So Paul would go into the hornet's nest, into the synagogues. And he reasoned with them for three weeks. He says, reasoning with them from scriptures, in verse 3, explaining and demonstrating. Explaining and demonstrating, which translates as to expound and openly and thoroughly present. You see, he's, he's making the case. Presenting what? Verse 3, that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. The Christ. You see, you know, you see Christ, that's Messiah. You know, people say Jesus Christ. It's not Jesus and Christ is like his last name. You know, it's not Jesus Christ. First name Jesus, last name Christ. No, it doesn't work that way. His name is Jesus. It's like saying Jesus the Messiah. When you see Jesus Christ, it's like saying Jesus, Jesus the Messiah. And so it says, saying, uh, demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer. And rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. He's the Messiah. Because in accordance with Jewish doctrine, and we'll, we'll touch on these. You know, in the Old Testament, we get into the uh, 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 even the major prophets, minor prophets. You know, prophecies about the Messiah. And then all of a sudden is to make the connection, hey, Jesus Christ, this is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. That's what Paul is doing here. He's making the connection. Making the case in verse 4. And some of them were persuaded. Very interesting what's happening here because it's, you know, it, it's, it, this, it's kind of like a process when he says some of them were persuaded. It's a process. What's the process? It's to persuade and then to agree and then to be convinced and then confident. That's what Paul is doing here. He's by persuasion presenting Jesus Christ. And some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of the devout Greeks. So these are God-fearing. God-fearing Greeks, Gentiles. Just like we've seen in previous chapters how they're in a synagogue. You have a bunch of Jews, but then you also have like a small group of Gentiles who were God-fearing. Just like Lydia, God-fearing, except she wasn't in the synagogue. Women weren't allowed in the synagogue, which kind of speaks beautifully and highly of Lydia. Because it's like, wow, you know what? She can't be to synagogue, you know? And so it was like, 
She just started her own little group, group of women, prayer group. She's like a, a women's leader. And so you see here, this God-fearing, it's like, you know, the Gentiles. Gentiles who have eyes to see and ears to hear. He says, some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, which is the wives of the noble men. So like, you know, you'd, you'd have like a, a bunch of... Uh, 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 like the, the Jewish men, they would meet in the synagogue. And then, you know, the wives, they had like separate chambers. Some synagogues, not all synagogues. Some synagogues, it was just like, boom, no women. Other synagogues, there were like separate chambers for the women to meet. There was no, there was no uh, intermixing of male and female. It was like the females would have this smaller room where they would, they would gather. But so Paul would go into the synagogue. He made his case and he started, you know, by persuasion and so you have some of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women who joined Paul and Silas. So you have a lot of Gentiles and a lot of women. You see how beautiful this is? We're seeing Paul and Silas as fishermen, wise fishermen. And now in verse 5, what do we see? Opposition. Opposition, straight up. Anytime you know, the work of the Lord is going forth. You're always going to have opposition. If there's no opposition, call some things into question. There's always going to be opposition no matter what. It can be in the form of, you know, uh, the slave girl, the, the demon-possessed slave girl that we studied a couple weeks ago who was freed by Jesus Christ. You know, the demon left her. And then all of a sudden, you know, this opposition that comes in the form of, look at the jailer, what we looked at last week, at the end of chapter 16. Look at the magistrates. You see, look at the religious leaders, the Jews, the religious establishment. And what do we see? You see Paul and Silas, they're fighting. They're teaching us how to fight. It says in verse 5, But the Jews who were not persuaded... Becoming envious, they were jealous. Translates as jealous, envious, and covetous. Becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. This is a loaded verse, verse 5. You see how it, rent a mob. That's what they did. What did they do? It says, becoming envious, they took some of the evil men, which translates as wicked and harmful degenerates. You know, the low end of society. And I'm not speaking about economically. I'm speaking about the degenerates of the society. It says, that's what they did. The Jews who were not persuaded, what did they do? They, they rent a mob. They go and, you know, handpick the wicked and harmful degenerates. This is from the marketplace. And gathering a mob, a public disturbance, is how it translates. You know, this mob, it says, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. Jason is a beautiful brother in Christ. They attacked the house of Satan, or, 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 of Jason. 
and, and, and sought to bring them out to the people. This is satanic behavior. Satanically induced. Satanically motivated. And they go to Jason. Abram. Home invasion, straight up. Home invasion of a Christian. A Christian family. And what do they do? They drag him out. Look what they straight up do a home invasion. They, 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 you know, maybe they thought Jason was housing Paul and Silas, other Christians. Maybe they thought, who knows what they thought. But these Jews who were not persuaded, they go to the dredges of society, the dregs of society. Let's get these degenerates and let's use them. You know what? Let's do a rent a mob. You know, that's straight up. Anytime, I mean, look at today, if you see like on the billboards, you'll see like a, you know, uh, Christians are gathering at the state capitol to pray against abortion, you know, or Christians are gathering in, you know, this city center and, you know, we're going to gather and we're going to pray against abortion, you know, or we're going to pray against whatever, you know, pick whatever darkness of society and you see these billboards. Well, then also what you do is you look at these city centers and then you go to Craigslist and you look at Craigslist and what do you see? You see the rent mobs there. You know, oh, you know, we hear that these Christians are going to gather here in, you know, this city center at this day at this time. So we're going to hire you. We're going to pay you minimum wage and we want you to cause a ruckus. You know, and anybody who gets arrested, we're going to represent you legally. And if you get arrested, we're going to give you, you know, a $500 bonus, a $1,000 bonus. It's a rent mob That's all it is. It's leftist tactics. Wicked. Degenerates. Nothing new under the sun. And so look what happens here. It says, you know, it is, and sought to bring them out up to the people. In verse 6, but when they did not find them. <coughs> so what are they looking for? <coughs> Excuse me. What are they looking for? Specific Christians. Paul and Silas. Maybe another guy. Maybe Dr. Luke. Maybe young Timothy. But specific Christians, hey, where are Paul and Silas? But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city. They dragged them to the authorities, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. They're looking for Paul and Silas. I think this is so beautiful because it's indicative of what's happening. And they're Christians who are standing firm. Jason, his home, home invasion. And then they dragged them out, Jason and some other guys. Dragged them out. And what's the accusation? It's like, look, these guys are turning the world upside down. And they're the bad guys, you know, Jason and, you know, his friends. Our brothers in Christ. They're the bad guys. You're the ones who busted into his home. You see, it's backwards. Thus fulfilling what the scripture teaches us. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Backwards. Does this ring a bell? Because look at our culture today. Look at what they call good today. You know, I was watching this movie. My wife and I, we were watching this movie. 
And we're watching this movie. It's like, okay, this is cool. This is cool. This is cool. At the very end, lesbians. It's like, what in the world? It's like they always, they're very tactical. You know, they always hit you at the end. Or, you know, you get caught up in this series. You know, you're watching TV. You get caught up in a series. You watch one show, two shows, three shows. You're in the series. And then by the time of the second season, boom, all this stuff. You know, you're already sucked in. It's like, you have to turn it off. You know, and it's like, well, look at the young generation. They're watching this stuff. If you let them, you know, if you're a parent and you let them, they're being exposed to all these things. What about when the little ones, they go to school? And here in our state, what happening is that they want to start doing sex at the kindergartners. That's like age five. Sex education to five-year-olds. Teaching them about, you know, transgenderism. You know, sex alone, you know, that's, you know, if that's not far enough, they got to stretch it even further. You know, teach a five-year-old about sex. And then also teach a five-year-old about, oh, by the way, there's, you know, uh, homosexuality, lesbianism. There's also transgenderism. Can you imagine a little kid coming home from school? What did you learn in school today, you know, Sonny? What did you learn in today's school? What did they say? Oh, I learned about transgenders. What? A lot of parents are going to be caught off guard. You know, teach your kids. Teach your kids wisely. Teach them well. It's the next generation of righteousness. Look what is said about Jason and his home. You know what's so cool? It's like these people, they've broken, you know, they, got, they, got the, they hired the rent-a-mob. And the rent-a-mob, they were, you know, doing as they were tasked. They buzzed it into Jason's home. You know, and you think, you know, they, they couldn't find Paul and Silas. You'd think they'd leave. But you know what I love about this persecution? Is that, okay, we can't get Paul and Silas. Let's get Jason and, you know, Jason and some of these other guys. It says a lot about Jason and these other guys, whoever they were. Beautiful brothers in Christ. Maybe there were some females there too, sisters in Christ. It's like, you know, oh, we can't get, you know, Paul and Silas, so you know, let's leave them alone. No, we're going to get the next best. Jason. Who knows how strong their witness was? I can only imagine that it was high. Godly. A beautiful witness for the Lord. And what's the claim? These, you know, they turn the world upside down. And what's the claim? Verse 7, here's the claim. Quote, Jason has harbored them. You see, where's Paul and Silas? We can't find them. Jason's harboring them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar. Very interesting. Very interesting. Because the claim is that they're committing deeds that are against the law of Caesar. We have to understand these things because you know what? As we progress further and further in the last days, the laws of the land will become more evil, more evil, more evil, more evil. Some states are flat out saying, you know what? You have to wear masks. Anywhere you go, you have to wear masks. It's like the only place you can't wear, you don't have to wear masks is in home. But some states are saying you can't wear a mask until there's a cure or a vaccine for the coronavirus. So what does that mean? Does that mean that, you know, vaccines are mandatory? Does that mean that, you know, when there's a cure, it's everybody's forced to take it? 
you know, and what's going to be the marker? What's going to say that this person has taken the vaccine? This person hasn't, has not taken it. Very evil days that we're living in. And the church is asleep. Don't be asleep in these last days. Be wide awake. Wide awake. The laws of the land are going to become more evil and evil and evil. Just like Rome was getting more evil and evil and evil for the Christian. Major, hardcore Christian persecution. You know, by the Jews and then by the Romans. The religious establishment and, you know, the, the world, the political factions. Reminds me a lot of the days that we live in. The religious establishment. You know, go to the world, the, the religious establishment today. And say, you know, the, the Vatican II is garbage. See what they'll say to you. Say, you know, go to the religious establishment today and say, oh, you know, John Calvin was a false teacher. John Calvin was a heretic. You know, you might be hearing me say these things. You're like, whoa, John Calvin? What do you mean he's a heretic? Well, all you got to do is read, read the Institutes of the Christian Religion written by John Calvin. His writings do not align with Holy Scripture. Look at famous teachers today. Reformed theology. Seeker-friendly movements. Hebrew roots movements. You know, the charismata. The charismatic movement. You know, Pensacola. You know, the moving of the Spirit in Pensacola. So-called moving of the Spirit. No, it wasn't. Very, very deceptive days that we're living in. And the laws of the land, just what the claim is here in verse 7. You know, Jason has harbored them and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar. Saying, there is another king, Jesus. Because in those days, Caesar was God. To say there was another be punishable by death. You see, this speech in verse 7, saying there is another king. You see, speech. Speech that was an act against the law of Caesar. And these are coming. These times are coming. You know, restricted speech. What is it that the world deems as hate speech? These days are coming. You can't stop it. They prophesied these things must happen. What is it that, you know, when you are standing firm in Jesus Christ, you know, don't forget the world will hate you. Just like they hate Paul, just like they hate Silas, just like they hate Timothy and Dr. Luke. Just like they hate Lydia. But you know what? These people don't have citizenship on this earth. The same way you don't. Because our citizenship is in heaven. We're just passing by. 
just passing by, that's it. And you see, you have to count the cost. That's why Jesus Christ says count the cost. Count the cost, the cost of being a Christian. If it's illegal, if it was you know, punishable by death to be a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you? Say, for example, the, the, the decree is made. It's illegal to be a born-again Christian. I wonder how many Christians would be okay in this world. I guarantee you the multitude. You know, the decree is made. It's against the law to be a Christian. And I'm under, I wonder how many would be pinpointed, okay, this guy is certainly a Christian. This gal is certainly a Christian. These kids are certainly Christians. So let's put them in jail. That's the kind of Christian you and I have to be in the last days. Where there's enough evidence to convict. And I don't know, make it say, okay, you know, like dutiful, like we have to do. I mean, there is the dutiful aspect of it. But abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. And he says, and I in you. Unity. And so look what happens here in verse 8. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers, or they stirred the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So what's happening now? The seeds of the derision are being planted in Thessalonica. Very interesting to see how Satan muddies the water. You know, picture, you know, you're, you have this field. And you're in the field and you're planting, you know, you, you till the land. And then you're, the land is tilled. You see this like freshly tilled soil. And then you go and you plant these seeds. Gently, gently plant, plant these seeds. One next to the other, next to the other, next to the other. And it takes, you know, you've been doing it for hours. And you're like halfway done. And then all of a sudden you look behind you. And what do you see? You see your neighbor who's a wicked degenerate. And what is he doing? He's going and he's kicking them by the wayside. He's like killing them all. Like undoing your efforts. That's what's happening here. Satanically motivated. You know, beautiful godly seeds. And then also these ugly disgusting seeds of derision. That's the work of Satan. It was the case back then, is the case today. Satan's at work. And so look what happens here in verse 9. So when they had taken security from Jason, or it's like posting bond. It says when they had taken, you know, like bail, they paid bail. When they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So Jason and the others, they're now freed again. They're now freed. In verse 10, then the brethren immediately sent, immediately sent Paul and Silas away. So Paul and Silas, they were kept safe somewhere. Remember in our study last week, they're fresh out of jail. They're fresh out of jail, you know, what they experienced. Beaten, bound at the feet, and in the inner prison. They're fresh out of jail. They get to Thessalonica, and then, you know, look what happens here. More opposition. And what happened with the church? They took Paul and Silas and says, no, we're going to keep you safe. They're going to, you know, they did the home invasion and Jason. But, you know, we're going to keep you safe, Paul and Silas. And so immediately they sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. 
or Berea. A night move. I love this. You know, nighttime's the right time. A night move. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. You see, like, whoa, Paul, Silas, what? What are you doing? You're going to the hornet's nest again? Carnally speaking, you'd be like, whoa, Paul, what are you doing? But what we read in Romans 9, you see his strong desire, his love for his brethren, his love for his countrymen, his kinsmen, the Jews, how he longs for them to accept Jesus Christ, to believe in Jesus Christ, and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You have people in your life that you just are so adamantly in love with, but they haven't have they don't have Jesus Christ. And your heart aches for these people. Sometimes it's an immediate family. Sometimes it's, you know, the you know, the cousins, parental, you know, child talk to an old lady, an old guy who yearns, like yearns for his children to come to Christ, his grand grandbabies. But it's for every soul to make for himself or herself. Jesus Christ is personal. And so look what happens here in verse 11. These, they, they get to Berea. And Berea is beautiful. Look what happens here in verse 11. They were more fair-minded or noble. They were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Kind of says a lot about Thessalonica, like, you know, the rough side of town. You know, you, you get into like a city hub, you know, and you have like, you know, like the rough areas or like, you know, if it's nighttime, you know, maybe drive really fast through it. You know, you get some rough areas. It makes me wonder, like, was this Thessalonica like that? You know, but and so it says here, uh, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that. So it's like, what do you mean noble? Fair-minded, which means noble. What, what do you mean noble? And I think it's so beautiful what the Lord considers, what the Bible here calls noble. In that, they received the word with all readiness. Readiness here, transfer cheerful readiness, willingness, and eagerness. And it says, and search the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. You see how beautiful this is? It says they searched the scriptures, which means to investigate, examine, and uh, discern. That's what this the synagogue in Berea was. They searched the scriptures. Unlike the synagogue in Thessalonica. Maybe they had their preconceived notions in Thessalonica. And they held tightly onto their preconceived notions even though their notions were wrong. When Paul shed more light on the scriptures. But here in Berea, Paul shed light on the scriptures, the entirety of scriptures, Old Testament. When I say scriptures, Old Testament. And what did they do? They didn't hold on to their preconceived notions. They let go of their grip of the preconceived notions. And what did they do? They opened the scrolls and they start to read. Well, Paul said this. So let's read what the prophet Jeremiah wrote. You know, Paul said this. Let's see what it says in the Pentateuch, in the Torah. They searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. 
Very interesting to see what the Bible calls noble. Searching the scriptures is noble. And not just searching the scriptures, but searching with cheerful readiness, willingness, and eagerness. Do you have that when you read the Bible? Cheerful readiness, willingness, and eagerness? Or are you like those in the synagogue in Thessalonica? You hold tightly onto your preconceived notions. Don't be that way if that's you. Soften your heart. Allow your hearts to be softened by the Holy Spirit. Because if you hold on to your preconceived notions and then you read the Bible and you still hold on to your preconceived notions, you know what that is? That's unwillingness to yield. That's not good. How many times in Scripture do you read about people who are unwilling to yield? We read it a lot. And it doesn't turn out too well for those people. Don't let that be the case with you. If that's you. You can hold tightly to your preconceived notions. And then you come to Scripture. And you must yield from your preconceived notions. You must yield to the Word of God. Open up your hand. You know, you have your tight grip on your notions. Oh yeah, God is okay with this. God is okay with that. And then you read the Bible. You have to loosen your grip. And in so doing, you're yielding to the Word of God. And in so doing, your heart will also become soft. In so doing, you will fulfill Scripture being the circumcision a people of the circumcision, a people of the way. That's what's so beautiful about Berea. They're more fair-minded, more noble. It doesn't mean like what the world calls noble. You think they're like, you know, on the uppity up, like high, high society. They get their fancy cars and fancy garb. No. The Bible explains here what is called noble. They search the scriptures daily. To find out whether these things were so. What are these claims of Paul? Let's see what the scrolls have to say about his claims. You see? And so in verse 12, it says, Therefore, because this was the case that they searched the scriptures, therefore, many of them believed. Many of them believed. And also, not a few of the Greeks. Prominent women as well as men. So the Holy Spirit is moving. God is increasing. You know, Paul is watering, Silas is watering, and God is giving increase. A lot of Jews, a lot of Gentiles, and a lot of women. You see how cool this is, how beautiful this is? It's like, whoa. That's why when you're not open to the scriptures and you hold firmly onto your preconceived notions, you know what you're doing? That's the behavior of unbelief. That's the behavior of wickedness. You can come to Jesus Christ with all kinds of preconceived notions about sex, drugs, you know, sexual orientations, you know, preferences, all kinds of things. But you believe in Jesus Christ. You know what I say? 
I say that's good. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you read his word. And when you read his word, you must be willing to let go of your preconceived notions. You must be willing. You know what that's called? It's called growing in Christ. It's called maturing in Christ. It's called putting aside the elementary things. Growing. When you're not a Berean, you will hate the messenger of truth. Just like in Thessalonica. They hated Paul. Where's this Paul? Where's this Silas? You know, oh, we're going to hire these guys. Go break into Jason's home. Look for this Paul. Look for this Silas. Go bust in that home. Home invasion. Why? Because they were not Bereans. I mean, literally, they were not Bereans, but they, were, they didn't have the heart of a Berean. They didn't search the scriptures. They held tightly onto their preconceived notions rather than saying, okay, Paul is saying this. Let's see what the Bible has to say about it. Let's see what the scrolls have to say. Let's see what the minor prophets, the major prophets, the Torah has to say. No, they didn't do that. But in Berea, they did. And the Lord gave them, the Lord increased. Many of them believed. A lot of Jews, a lot of Gentiles, and a lot of women. It's so cool. I say a lot of women, like in a beautiful sense, because women were ostracized from synagogue. They weren't part of the, you know, what was happening, you know, in, in the synagogue. If they were a hardcore synagogue, they, they were kicked out. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't go in. If they were a more liberal synagogue, then, you know, they had special chambers for women. No, no, you know, there's no intermixing. Women couldn't be with the men. But in Christ, women and men can be together. There's no male, uh, female, slave-free, rich, poor. Jew, Gentile. And so in, in verse 13, but when the Jews from Thessalonica, they followed them. You see, we're in Berea. We just read, you know, in the first couple verses, we just read about what happened in Thessalonica. And now you have, you know, when the Jews from Thessalonica, they followed them. They followed Paul. They followed Silas. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. You see, back to the same old mess, stirring up the crowds, causing trouble. You know, it's revealed here that Paul is a threat. Paul is a threat to the synagogue, to the religious establishment. Paul is seen as a threat. And you know what? When people stir others against you, people could say, oh, you know, don't believe what this guy has to say. He's garbage. Don't believe what this girl has to say. She's garbage. See, that is a good thing. You know what it means? You're a threat. That's what it means. I mean, you know, if you're teaching false doctrine, it's like, okay, then you say, oh, don't go to that guy, you know, don't go to this lady. But when you're standing firm in sound doctrine, the full counsel of the Word of God, Genesis to Revelation, and people are saying, hey, you know what, this guy, just like they did to Paul, stirring up the crowds against Paul, against Silas, against the church, these young believers. 
That's a good sign. Opposition is a good sign. And it means you are a threat. It's a good sign. So look what happens here in verse 14. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away. You know what's so cool about sending them away? Is sending Paul away? Just like they did in verse in verse 10. You know that they immediately sent Paul and Silas away at night to Berea, by night to Berea. And here they immediately sent uh, Paul away in verse 14. You see the body at work together, one body. You know like like cellular movements. You know, like if you get a cut, like you cut your arm. I mean, you don't purposely cut your arm, but say you get a cut on your arm. And you know, microscopically at the cellular level, you know what's happening? You have the red blood cells, the white blood cells, all these things. They have their job to do, you know, and maybe it's like you know, they, they all have their functionality. And that's what's so cool here about verse 14. You see the body of Christ at the cellular level, and I'm speaking about, you know, small groups of people, and I'm speaking at the individual cell, like Paul. They're working. They're at work. One body with many parts. And so what did they do with Paul? They sent Paul away to go to the sea. But both Silas and Timothy remained there. So the entourage of godly men, it's broken up. It's a smaller crew. And it's so beautiful because Timothy is, you know, he's experiencing all these things. He's experiencing opposition. He's experiencing the attack. He's experiencing one who has counted the cost. Not just one, but others. Paul, Dr. Luke. You know, Silas and Timothy are kind of young. I would say Timothy is young, the youngest of the group. But don't forget our study in the first couple, you know, our first study. You know, we had like th three studies in Acts 16. The first one talked about young little Timothy. You know, the seeds that were planted by his mom. The seeds that were planted by his grandma. Young little Timothy. Prophesy, he had prophecy for him. You know, and it's so cool. It's like Timothy is experiencing these things. A future pastor. And so in verse... 15, so those who conducted Paul or uh, were, were like at the, 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 the head of the convoy, you know, they, they sent him away by boat, brought him to Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. So, like you know, they, 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 they arrive, you know, the, the, the convoy of, you know, people who are bringing Paul, they arrive in, in Athens, Paul gets off the boat, turns back and says, okay, you guys, go back to Berea, and you know what? Tell Silas and Timothy to get back over, to come to Athens with all speed. You know, as fast as possible, tell them to come to Athens. And so they departed. You see, in verse 16, now while Paul, while Paul waited for them at Athens. Now, you read this, and you're like, okay, Paul's going to wait for Timothy and Silas in Athens. So what is it? He's just going to chill? He's just going to relax a little bit, go watch some movies, you know, take some time off, go to the beach, you know, get a nice tan. No, not at all. He's all about the father's business. It's so beautiful. I'm so in love with Paul. In verse 16, <clears throat> now while Paul waited for them at Athens, 
His spirit was provoked. It was stimulated within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. You know, and there's a hardcore emphasis to these idols everywhere. Everywhere you look, the God of this. Everywhere you look, the God of that. Remember, it's Roman area, a Roman province, a Roman, you know, uh, boundaries. But then at the same time, hardcore uh, Grecian influence influence of the Greeks, you know, and culturally speaking, they had a lot, both Roman and Greeks, you know, they had a lot of the gods, they had their different, the god of this, the god of that, the god of this, the god of that, gods for everywhere, everything, and a lot of it dealt with uh, sex and drugs, you know, and uh, pleasures, you know, and they have all these gods, and so Paul is, you know, he's in Athens, and he's seeing all these things, the city that was given over to idols, Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue. He's like, whoa, you think Paul would, carnally speaking, you think Paul would be like, okay, I'm alone. I'm not going to go to the synagogue. But no, he doesn't do that. Carnally speaking, it's relatively foolish. Carnally speaking. Because why, why poke the hornet's nest? Paul's not carnal at all. Just like we read in Romans 9, his strong, strong, strong desire for his kinsmen, for the Jews, the Jewish people. You know, it says, therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue. He disputed, he preached, and he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers. He goes to the hornet's nest. You know, as much as you see his strong, strong, strong desire for the Jews to believe. You also see the strong desire for Gentiles to believe. But then there's something else that we see that's revealed in Paul's writings down the road. His epistles to the churches. And I wonder. This is just me wondering. I wonder if on the side of things. Maybe he had a little death wish. You know, he's, you know to live his Christ to die his gain. Looking forward to death. I wonder if beautiful, beautiful Paul had a death wish. Where it's like, you know what? I don't mind if you kill me. What a beautiful, beautiful soul. Because it's like he's all about the father's business. He's not suntanning on the beach in Athens. He's not catching a movie in Athens. You know, he's not in the bars in Athens. No. He's about the father's business and he's fully engaged. He goes to the hornet's nest. I mean, you read these other passages where, you know, they immediately sent for Paul and Silas to go away. And here in verse 14, they immediately sent Paul away. You think like, wow, he's in retreat. But no, that's not retreat at all. He's all about the father's business. And he's all about the attack going on the offense. Attack mode. You know, that's so cool for the church today, for individual Christians and then for a, a body of Christians. Because there's a defensive posture that we can take where we have our shields and we take all these hits. We take hit number one, two, three, four, you know, hit number a million. But when you're on the offensive posture, it's like, boom, it's time to attack. It's time to attack. Even in the face of opposition, Paul is being fearless. 
And so look what happens here in verse um, 17. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. So look what, what's happening here. He's, he, he, he's fighting. You see a picture of spiritual warfare and engagement. He goes to the Jew, to the Gentile, and the marketplace. And his fight is nonstop. It doesn't stop. In verse 18, opposition arises. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers... It sounds like fancy. Whoa. Who are these Epicureans? Whoa. Who are these Stoics? Well, remember we had a little study in the Gnostics? There's two sects of the Gnostics. You know, the Gnostics, people who so-called have knowledge. You know, you have these brainiacs today. Usually like young millennials, college-age kids, you know, even younger. You know, sometimes they think they know it all. Brainiac, so-called brainiacs. They say, oh, I'm not an atheist. I'm agnostic. You know, they like to use all these words. It's like, whoa, okay, you're agnostic. You know, know, it's still stupid. You know, it's like, you know, there's two sects of the Gnostics, which means to have knowledge. The first sect, this first sect is the Stoics. They're pantheists. Pantheists, they believe God is in all things. You know, God in all things. There's the God of... Think of like native cultures. There's the you know God of trees, the God of the animals, and then there's the God of deer. There's the God of birds. There's the God of you know clouds, God of rain. You know, pantheist. God is in God is in all things. You know that's why they had the God of this, God of that. You know that kind of explains the culture of Athens. But then there's the Epicureans, which. In accordance with these Epicurean philosophies, they reach full knowledge by satisfying the body's carnal desires and the pursuit of pleasure. That's the Epicureans. They're both Gnostics. The Stoics and the Epicureans, they're both Gnostics, which is like the the know-it-alls. You know, they're like, you ever talk with spiritual people? And I'm not talking about biblically spiritual but you talk about spiritual people. Like I was talking to this lady once. I said, oh, you go to church? Because she was saying like, she sounded like she was speaking Christianese. I said, like, oh, you go to church? And she says, oh, I don't go to church. Nature is my church. You know, and they talk all like soft, you know. Like, yeah. oh, you go to church? No, I don't go to church. Nature is my church. It's like, pfft. crazy. Crazy people are everywhere. That's the last days. Crazy people abound. You know, and you have these know-it-alls, these liberals, you know, and it's like, yeah, God is, you know, God is love. So therefore, he's okay with this. Therefore, he's okay with this. And then somebody's going to say, oh, no, why do you say God is a he? God is a she. And it's like, man, it's stupidity. It's what it is. It's foolishness. Even though they sound lofty, they talk lofty, they use all these big words. You know, the, the philosophers, you go ever walk in a college campus. And you see like, you know, like a, a, like a group of hippies, you know, and, you know, you go and stand next to them and you listen. Somebody's just philosophizing. That's all they're doing. Sharing philosophies about this. And you see people nodding their heads. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. You know, I agree with this. You know, God created all things. So therefore, let's smoke marijuana. You know, God created all things. So let's do our ayahuasca. 
You know, it's stupid. Deception in the last days. And so in, in what happens here, it's like, look, look what happened in verse 18. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. Remember Paul, he's not on the beach. He's not catching a movie. He's not, you know, doing stupid things. He's all about the father's business. And he encounters these Epicurean, Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Notice what they say about Paul. This babbler. What does he have to say? What others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. In verse 19, and they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. Areopagus, it translates as Mars Hill. Now, you might be familiar with the Parthenon. You know, it's that build. It's like this structure in Greece, you know, in Athens. It's the structure where, you know, it has all the uh, the pillars, you know, and it's about to fall. I don't think they allow visitors there anymore because they're saying it might fall. It's loose ground and, you know, loose structure. <clears throat> a little side note here. You know, when you hear me pause sometimes, I have to drink hot tea. I pray for my throat because, it, you know, I talk too much and then all of a sudden it's like, it's a weird pain. So just pray anytime you hear like, I'm in the middle of something and then I pause and you're like, what happened? You know, I'm drinking tea. And so, um, but Mar Mars Hill, the Parthenon, which sits on this mount, like the hilltop and the Parthenon, there's the, that structure on the hilltop. And uh, right below that, there's the, a little mound. I mean, you can see it on like Google Maps I mean, or you, know, you can see like pictures of it in Google. But uh, it, it was called Mars Hill. You know where that was, you know, and on the other side of Mars Hill was the theater of Dionysus. And Dionysus was, you know, a, 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 a god that they had, you know. And so it, 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 remember, there's gods all over the place and not, you know, the most high, but there's, you know, lowercase g, gods all over the place, you know, idols, idols. That's what stirred Paul in his heart, in his spirit, you know, his spirit in verse 16, while Paul waited in Athens. His spirit was provoked. It was stirred within him when he saw the city was given over to idols. They're all over the place. And so the, in verse 19, the Stoic, the Epicurean philosophers, they took him to, the, they brought him to the Areopagus. That's Mars Hill. Now, what happened at the Areopagus in accordance with Greek mythology, and I don't want to inject Greek mythology. I just want to explain. Ares, the god of war. You know, in, in Greek mythology, Ares stood trial there at, at Areopagus. He stood trial there for murdering Poseidon's son. You know, that's in accordance with Greek philosophy or Greek uh, uh, mythology. And so what happened is since the Greeks believed that in accordance with their mythology, uh, what they did is they established their court system right there on Areopagus. On Mars Hill, they established their court system. And so it became a meeting place where people would discuss law, they would discuss philosophy, they would also discuss religion. So it was like a meeting place of all these brainiacs, meeting place of, you know, all these different thought systems. In these cultures, the Grecian cultures, it was the culture of thinkers, even in Roman cultures, but it was the a culture of thinkers. They they placed high value on intellect. They placed high value on, you know, 
certain philosophies that culture adhered to. And so Areopagus was kind of a big deal for Paul to be there because it was like where all these people would go. I mean, their legal system was established there. And so it says here, I brought him to the Areopagus saying in verse 19, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. And I think this is so beautiful. It's like the door is opening. You see, they bring Paul there. The door is opening. Hey, we want to know more. In verse 20, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Very interesting what they call strange. Notice the gospel at this point is unknown to them. They might have heard a little bit about it. They might have heard from, you know, like, you know, maybe they heard like little side echelons of certain happenings in other regions. But they've never heard from an authority like Paul. And that's what they want. They want to hear from Paul. Tell us what you have to say. You're bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were, who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or hear some new thing. So it was like the Greek and Roman quest for knowledge. Remember, they, in these cultures, they placed high emphasis on knowledge. You know, and this is reflected in their arts, in their cultural references, in their writings, in their mythical lore. These are all reflected. This uh, knowledge was held in high esteem. Verse 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, men of, I wish, you know, there's times when it's like in the Bible, it's like, I wish I could be a fly on the wall there just to hear what he has to say. You know, the, you know, by God's grace, we have what he, had, what, he, what he said. Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. There's very hardcore emphasis here on very religious. It's to say more than others. Say like, Outside of Mars Hill, if we go down the hill and we talk to somebody about religion, you might talk to somebody, have a little conversation. But with you guys, you guys hold this in like, this is like the place to be if you want to discuss these matters. He's saying, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. You know, it, it says, imagine all the gods that they had there. Paul's walking around the town and he sees an altar. He looks at the inscription to the unknown God. Mind you, they had the God of this, the God of that. Pantheists, remember pantheists. God in everything. And don't forget the Epicureans where it's like, you know, if you want to achieve the full statehood in accordance with, you know, philosophy, then it's like, you know, all uh, like uh, uh, like uh, the desires of the of pleasure, the pursuit of pleasure. You know that's why you know we're gonna get into it a little bit. Or like there's like goddesses, you know, like sex gods, you know, gods of like drugs and stuff. And I don't mean to like gloss over that, but these are these are things that are you know coming up in these last days. I mean, you look in the what's a major problem in the church today? Sex. You know, pornography, nothing new under the sun. Drugs, rampant, running wild in the church today. Look at Paul does. You know, he's like in the belly of the beast. He doesn't run away, run for the hills. 
He is straight up in the belly of the beast. He goes to the hornet's nest, and now he's in the belly of the beast. And look what happens here. Men of Athens, he says to them, I perceive that in all things you are very religious, for as I was passing through and considering to look attentively at the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one... Notice the capitalization here. I read out of the New King James Version. I love the New King James Version. Out of all the virgin, uh, versions, I like the New King James Version. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. Paul is acknowledging their ignorance. Acknowledging their ignorance because to the unknown God, that's the inscription. But not just that. He's pointing out their ignorance, but he's using it as a tool. Brilliant. Brilliant. He's using their ignorance as a tool. This is the one. You have this inscription to the unknown God. Okay. Since he's unknown to you, let me make him known to you. I'm going to proclaim him to you. And then he tells them of the Lord. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, not if, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. You see the brilliance of Paul. And when I say the brilliance of Paul, his oratory skills. Because remember, he's just, it's language. He's using speech. He says, does not dwell. He's Lord of heaven and earth. He does not dwell in temples made with hands. All these temples, all these altars, all these whatever to these other gods. The real God, the one whom you don't know. And Paul is making the comparison. Yeah, you have all these temples. We can look down the hill. Look at all these altars you have. But the real God, the one you don't know. He doesn't dwell in these temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since, not if, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. He's presenting God to them. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times or their pre-appointed seasons and the boundaries of their dwellings. Very interesting. Pre-appointed seasons and their boundaries of their dwellings. And he's saying, you know, the Lord has made from one blood every nation. So look at the history of nations from today. And then hit the rewind button. You know, the history of nations, you have, you know, Western cultures and you have like, you know, the Dark Ages. And then you get into like the Roman Empire, the Grecian Empire, the Medes, the Persians. All of these things set by God. From one blood, every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed seasons and the boundaries of their dwellings. It's all, thing, it's, it's all done by the Lord. All done by God, whom you don't know, but I'm making him known to you. That's what Paul is doing on Areopagus. That's what Paul is proclaiming on Mars Hill. To the Stoics, the Epicureans, the legal experts, the brainiacs, those of logic and intellect. 
Why? I'm going to... I'm not a Calvinist, but I'm going to say a Calvinist phrase. God is sovereign. <laughs> God in His sovereignty. He is sovereign. I don't mean to laugh, you know, in a mocking sense. I mean to laugh because, you know what? A lot of times when you talk to Calvinists, you know, it's like, God is sovereign. That's all they say. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Well, why this? God is sovereign. Okay, well, why this? God is sovereign. You know, can you make another argument? No, God is sovereign. Okay. It's leaned on too heavily amongst the Reformed theology people, amongst the Reformed theory people. It's just a theory. Reformed theology is just a theory. I'm not a reformist. Just so you know, I'm not, I'm not into reformed theology, nor Calvinism. Nor predestination as prescribed by them, by those theories. You know, predestination is biblical, but we're going to study that when we get into the book of Romans. Predestination as defined by the word of God. And so it says here uh, in verse 27, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him. You know, this is to grope for him. It's like, you know, if you're ever in a dark room, you know, and you're like, you know, the light switch is, you know, in one corner of the room and you're like groping, you're like feeling around, you know, you might, you know, I don't want to stub my toes. So I'm feeling for a chair. I know the chair is here, you know, and, you know, I don't want to step on, you know, whatever, you know, if you have kids, you might have a toy. I don't want to step on this toy. So, you know what? I got to walk slowly and gently because it hurts if I step on the toy. And I, you know the light switch is there. And you're like groping, feeling around. That's what Paul is saying here. In the hope that they might grope for him and find him. Not grope for him aimlessly, but to grope for him. You know, like searching for a light in a dark room and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us. I think this is so beautiful to remember. That he is not far from each one of us. You know, especially to those who don't believe. If you're listening to my voice right now and you do not believe, I'm going to tell you something that's a lie from the pit of hell. I'm going to tell you something that's a lie from Satan. You'll get a thought in your head because Satan is whispering in your ear that God is too far from you. That God doesn't want anything to do with you. That you're so dirty, you're so filthy, that God wants nothing to do with you. Don't believe those lies. Those are lies from the pit of hell, from the father, father of lies, who was a murderer from the beginning. Just as Paul says to here, I say to you today, he is not far from you. He is not far from you at all. Perhaps as is written in verse 26, you and me, were fulfilling this very thing today. You're pre-appointed time to hear me tell to you, say to you, that God is not far from you. He loves you. God loves you. You say, what do I do? Repent. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins. For the remission of sins and you will be saved. You know what that's called? That's called being born again. It's called being born again. And when you believe in Jesus Christ, you be obedient to Jesus Christ. And part of that obedience is reading in His Word. Reading His Word. Another aspect of that obedience is yielding to His Word. 
allowing him to change you, allowing him to transform your heart and becoming a new creation in Christ. In verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being as also some of you, as some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Paul is using a quote from Aretas, who was a Greek poet who wrote about Zeus. Zeus. And Paul is telling them, you believe this concept already, guys. You believe, you know, you have this altar to the unknown God. Let me tell you about this unknown God. And he presents God to them. And he's telling them by using quotes of their own poets that they hold in high esteem. You guys believe in this stuff already. Only Zeus isn't the most high. You're seeing Paul, who is very, very highly skilled in speech. We're seeing him in action, using language, using speech. And what does the Bible say? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You say, Paul doesn't holding text. Well, Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit and Paul has Jesus Christ inside of his heart. Paul has the word inside of him. And when you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you mature in Jesus Christ, you know what? You have Jesus Christ inside of you. Let your light shine. Be the salt. Be the light. You see, Paul is... We're seeing him in action, a highly, highly skilled orator. Verse 29, therefore, since, not if, therefore, since we are all, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Paul is saying, look, guys, all these things around us, look at the bottom of Mars Hill. Look at all these temples. Look, I mean, look above us at the Parthenon. Look on the other side of the Parthenon. What do you have? You have uh, the, the uh, Theater of Dionysus. God's all over the place. Sex God over here. You know, the God of the afterlife over here. All these experiences that you can experience over here. It was like this big marketplace of ideas. And Paul is saying, it's all garbage, it's all rubbish. You have gold, you have silver, you have stone all around. And he says, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. You see what Paul is doing? He's nullifying their foundational belief system. He's turning the world upside down. He's turning their world upside down. That's what's so cool about being a witness for Jesus Christ. You turn the world upside down. You, you take another person's world and you turn it upside down. I would, you know, arguably right side up. Satan has them upside down. You turn it right side up so they can see. They can hear. It's so beautiful to see these things in action. Paul's by himself. He doesn't have the entourage. There's no church group near him. One guy. Just like Philip a couple chapters ago. 
Philip. And so look what happens here in verse 30. Truly, these times of ignorance, this is before knowing truth, times of ignorance. Everybody has times of ignorance. I had times of ignorance. You had times of ignorance. But what happens when you know? Once you know, you are officially without excuse. Once you know. You say, well, that's, I feel like I've been trapped, you know? You're telling me once I know, then I'm without excuse? Well, yeah, I hate to break it to you that way, but yeah. You're officially on notice. You're officially without excuse. God loves you. Now you have to make a choice. Do you love him back? If you're a non-believer, you know, you have to make a choice. If you are a believer, what kind of believer? Are you cold, lukewarm, or hot? If you're cold, you have to make a choice. If you're lukewarm, you have to make a choice. If you're hot, you still have to make a choice. What is the choice? To be steadfast. Be steadfast. And he says, truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked. But now commands all men, all men everywhere to repent. Now he gives them the gospel. So in verse 24, he tells them about God. And verse 30, what does he do? He gives them the good news. That's the gospel, the good news. The good news has an element of negativity to it. What's the negativity? God's judgment. Okay. God's judgment, biblically, it is just, it is right. And I say it's bad because it, it speaks of, you know, where are you? That's why you read the minor prophets as the day of the Lord, you know, uh, fear the day of the Lord, you know, dread the day of the Lord. And then you read Peter's writings and he says, look forward to the day of the Lord. And it's like, what is it? You know, do I dread the day of the Lord or do I look forward to the day of the Lord? Well, you know, the choice is yours. If you want to be lukewarm, if you want to be cold, if you want to be, you know, call yourself a Christian, but, you know, do your drugs, have your sex like crazy, do your alcohol, you know, and, you know, do your Buddha worship, you call yourself a Christian, you know what? The day of the Lord is a fearful day for you. Fearful day. If you're a non-believer, the day of the Lord, fearful day for you. Dread that day. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, look forward to that day. It's also the day of redemption. Remember, we're not appointed to wrath. The believer in Jesus Christ is not appointed to wrath. Very important to understand these things. Especially, especially, especially for the last day's church. And so Paul is, you know, there's the element of bad news. When you're presenting the gospel, there's the element of bad news. If you're not a believer... And you're hearing me, it's like, well, I thought Jesus Christ said good things. Yeah, he does say beautiful things. But there's an element of bad things too. What's the bad? You know, judgment is coming. God's wrath is coming. You don't want to be a part of that. So believe in Jesus Christ. That's the good news. The bad news is good news. The bad news is that, you know what? You're not in the boat. You're not in the ark. And the rains are coming. The good news all you got to do is take my hand and let's get in the boat. You know, get in the boat with me. That's it. It's so simple. You say, well, you make it sound simple. What do you mean? It really is simple. 
repent and believe in Jesus Christ. It really is simple. Jesus Christ cleans his own fish. I don't care. Whatever it is in your past, I could care less. I don't care. You could tell me, you know what, I murdered 10 people. Okay. I mean, I care about that. But I mean, I don't care for the sake of your soul. You know, you repent, you believe in Jesus Christ, you're born again. And then, you know what? I'll hug you, I'll embrace you, you're my brother, you're my sister, and then we got to call the police. And you know, you got to confess to these murders. And then you can start a prison ministry. You know, or you're a crackhead. I don't care. You believe in Jesus Christ? Come to Christ. Put away your crack, throw it away, it's garbage. You're, you're a sex addict? I don't care. Come to Jesus Christ, believe. And you know what? Sin no more. Go and sin no more. Put away all those sex things. So many times, you know, people always say, you know what? Jesus Christ loves the, he went to the prostitutes. He went to these people, the, you know, all the, 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 the tax collector. And yes, he did. But he also told them, go and sin no more. It's not to say, yeah, you can be a prostitute, believe in Jesus Christ, and still be a prostitute. No, it's to say, you can be a prostitute, come to Jesus Christ, and you deny prostitution. You know why? Because you're yielding to Jesus Christ, and He's transforming you. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ, and then all of a sudden, you're no longer a prostitute. You are a Christian. You are my sister. You are my brother. You know, sometimes you hear me speak about homosexuality. And sometimes, you know, I've talked with homosexuals before. They're like, oh, you know, you're such a bigot. You hate homosexuals. No. If I hated you, I wouldn't be telling you these things. I wouldn't be telling you about God's coming judgment if I hated you. But no, I love you. And I want you to deny those things for your soul. The same way I had to deny those things for my soul. You see? Heterosexual, but, you know, similar sexual sin. Heterosexual, but, you know, you have to deny these things. Alcoholism, you know, I tell you the truth. There was a time, my friends, they always used to laugh at me. I had certain nicknames. But, you know, we get to this, there's this, you know, famous alcohol store in Southern California. And, you know, one time I was just so crazed out of my mind. I would refer to that place as like my temple. And I had certain drinks. I was like, this is my God. I would have this, hold this bottle. I'm like, this is my, I referred to this bottle as my God. And I tell you that, it's like, I'm so ashamed to even say that. But that's the wretchedness, the wickedness, the depths of my, not even the depths. That's my wickedness. There's even further depths of my wickedness, you know, before I came to Christ. And Christ never told me, Jesus Christ never says, get out of here. No, he accepted me. He took me in the same way he'll take you in. You just have to believe. Yeah, there's an element of bad news. What's the bad news? Judgment is coming. That's the bad news. What's the good news? You can save your soul. Jesus Christ. And so he says, you know, uh, so in verse 31, because you know, it's so cool because it's, in verse 30, when he says the times of ignorance God overlooked, that might be you today. If you're a non-believer, that might be you today, right now. 
You say my past, I was alcoholic, I'm a drug, I'm a crackhead, I, you know, I, I'm a prostitute, I, I, uh, drugs, whatever. It's fine. Perfectly fine. I'm talking about right here and right now. Right here, right now, at this very moment. Repent, my friend. Repent. God loves you. Satan might be whispering in your ear. How can God take you? Look at what you've done. Don't believe that voice. God loves you. You know, it's so beautiful when you have Holy Scripture. We study these things. We read these things. And it's like, wow, you fall so in love. Not yet. You hear me say, you know, I'm so in love with Paul, which I am. But what about Christ in Paul? It makes me love like, you know, I love Jesus Christ. But you read these things. It's like even more, 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 more. That's my God. That's the one that abides in my heart. And you read, you fall in love with Jesus Christ. And you know, that's the, the God that you fall in love with. That's the God that resides in your heart. If you let him. If you let him. He says, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. And if you hear me, I will come in. That's what he says. He doesn't say, I'm going to kick the door of your heart down. No. You have to invite him in. And you have to let him in. And so in verse 31, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man. Notice the capital M here speaking about Jesus Christ. Whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all. God's judgment is a sure thing. It's going to happen. People have grown lax in these last days. False doctrine. Wicked so-called pastors. Fake shepherds. Who fleece the sheep. Prey on the sheep. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. Teach false doctrine. They're hirelings. These are all signs of the last days. But God's coming judgment is a sure thing. And that's what Paul is saying here. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So the resurrection of Jesus as the first fruits of the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ testifies of God's coming judgment upon the world. You know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ testifies of a lot of things. As the first fruits of the resurrection, it 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 it, it, it also indicates, you know, the, the what about the second fruits, the third fruits, which I'm speaking about the, the church. I shouldn't say third fruits, the second fruits, which is the body of Christ. Those who are dead first shall rise again. It's the rapture of the church. You see the first fruits of the resurrection in accordance with 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It also testifies of coming judgment. Just as is written here. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And now in verse 32 is decision time. What will you do, men of Athens? And if you're a non-believer listening to my voice right now, what will you do? It's decision time. What will you do? Look at what the men of Athens did. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Some of them mocked. While others said, we will hear you again on this matter. They were intrigued. So they said, okay, 
Let's wait for tomorrow. Let's wait for next week. We'll hear you again some other time. That's what happened in the Valley of Decision. Some said, okay, that's cool, but you know what? Next week, let's table that for next month. Some said, you know what? This guy's crazy. This Paul guy who speaks of these things, he's crazy. In verse 33, so Paul departed from among them. Verse 34, however, some men, some men. Remember verse 32, decision time, the valley of decision? Some men in verse 34. Some men joined him and believed. This word for joint is to cleave. They cleaved unto Paul. They stuck and glued themselves to Paul. That's how it translates. Some men joined him and believed. They were in the valley of decision and they believed in Jesus Christ. They made their choice. That's why I say, if you're a non-believer, decision time is right now. Right here, right now. What will you do? When I tell you that judgment is coming, God's judgment is coming. But it doesn't have to come on you. God's judgment does not have to fall on you. What will you do? Decision time, my friend. Male, female, I don't care. Young, old, I could care less. You're a crackhead, you know, sex addict, I could care less. It's decision time. God's judgment is coming. And He loves you. He desires you to believe in His only begotten Son. And to receive His only begotten Son. And to be washed and cleansed by His only begotten Son and the truth of His Holy Word. Because He loves you. And He has good things for you. All you have to do is open the door of your heart. That's it. And repent. Acknowledge your sin. Repent. And be born again. If that's you today in this valley of decision, listen to the, there's recording recorded messages. How to be saved, how to be born again. It's very important for your soul. It's like me telling you, hey, take my hand and join me in the ark. It's Jesus Christ. However, in verse 34, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysus, the Aeropagite. Very interesting because look what happens here. The Aeropagite, he's a member of the court system. A member of the courts. He believes in Jesus Christ and stuck and glued and cleaved himself to Paul. Cleaved himself to Paul. Not just an Aeropagite, not just a member of the court system. He's named after the God of ecstasy. Past this prologue. Past this prologue. You tell me, oh man, you don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't know what you've done. God knows exactly what you've done. And He still loves you. He still loves you. Just like Paul says in verse 27, He's not far from you. He's not far from you. He loves you. Look at Dionysus, named after the god of ecstasy. And, you know, a member of the court system here, an Aeropagite. 
He says, you know what? All these people, some people said, okay, Paul, we'll listen to you next week, next month. We'll table that for another day. Oh, you know, Paul, you're crazy. You know, the resurrection, I don't believe that stuff. But some men joined him and believed among them. Dionysus the Aeropagite. Not just some men, says here, a woman named Damaris. You see, a beautiful, beautiful sister in Christ now. A lot of times, you know, when I speak, I speak kind of like male-centric. That's just because I'm a guy. But, you know, it also applies to females too. Females. If you're a female listening to these words, the same thing applies to you. Male, female, I don't care. Maybe you were sucked into whatever lifestyle. I don't, I mean, I care. But I mean, you tell me, you know, you feel so guilty. Join the club, you know. There's guilt with sin. That's what makes the good news so incredibly good. Because remember, the wages of sin is death. But God who loves you takes your sin and he placed it on his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. He paid the price for your sin. He paid the price for my sin. The question is, do you believe? Multitudes will say, okay, that's fine and dandy. You know, get out of here. Multitudes will say, you're crazy. I don't believe in the resurrection. But you know what? I don't speak to multitudes. I'm speaking to you right here, right now. It's decision time, my friend. You see? A woman named Damaris and others with them. Paul planted. We're seeing a picture here of this highly skilled orator. Skilled in the word of God. Skilled in the Old Testament. A Pharisee of Pharisees who's a blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ. And he's a strong vessel of the Lord. And God has given him increase. God provided the increase. And I pray that's what's happening right now as you hear my words. That God is giving you increase in your life. Maybe I've planted. Maybe I've watered. But I will forever pray that God gives you increase. We're going to end our study here and pick up in chapter 18 next week. Love you guys. Miss you guys. God bless you.